So let's then turn to God's word and um, God knows all about lockdown. He knows where, where things are happening. He knows that we've been studying through Hebrews, but we need to carry on with the work. And um, so let's hear what God's word is saying to us on this specific day of 12th of September. What is he saying to us as his church? So we're going to carry on in our reading, um, Hebrews chapter 5. Um, and we're looking specifically at Hebrews 5 verse 11 to chapter 6 verse 12. Now it's a fairly long passage, but it is one thought. Um, and so I don't want to break it up, although I won't be spending the same amount of emphasis on the whole passage. Uh, I will be coming back to a part of it again next time. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. I will be reading from verse 7 of chapter 5 through to chapter 6, verse 12. Hebrews 5, verse 7. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptisms or washings, the laying on of hands, the, res the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing Him to the cross once again and holding Him up to public shame. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we, don't really, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. 
He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Now imagine if you, as we two, you're allowed to go out to restaurants spaced out at two meter intervals. But imagine if you're sitting there at that restaurant and there you see this stunted, scrawny man. And when everyone else orders steak and hauls out their knives and fork, he hauls out a baby bottle and starts drinking milk. You'd look at this person and think, either there's something not right in the head, or maybe he's got a medical problem. But you'd be worried, right? Because it's not normal. You'd show concern. And so we can discern that something is not right at a physical level, and yet what this passage brings out to us is that do we show the same level of concern and discernment when it comes to our spiritual growth? Statistics show that the average church attendee and the basic Sunday school child have a very basic understanding of God's Word. I want to ask a question to you as I've asked myself this week. How well do I know God's Word? When was the last time I actually read through the entire Scriptures? On top of that, our lack of proper interaction with God's Word has consequences. And the writer to the Hebrews notices that in the churches that he's writing to, he's concerned about it. Because he was trying to explain to them about Christ's appointment as a high priest, like that of Melchizedek, verses 10 to 11. And then he breaks off that thought and he says, but you're not going to understand this. Because I'm trying to feed you with solid food and you're still on milk food. You're going to choke. And what's the reason for this? Well, the reason for this, he spells out to them there in verse 11. He says... You've become dull of hearing. The church, the Hebrew church, the church at Rome, they were, they were hearing, but they weren't listening. And they'd gone backwards in their thinking. What, were, what was the big thing in Hebrews? They'd gone back to what? To the old covenant way of doing things. They were yearning back to this old covenant way of doing things all the time. And that was having a result in their spiritual lives. They were behind in the growth curve. They were becoming behind in their spiritual growth charts. He says, verse 12, you ought to be teachers at this stage in your lives, but you need to be taught again. You see, they needed to be taken back to the basic truths all the time. He uses a literal phrase here, to the ABCs, and that the Romans had invented it by then, the letters of the alphabet, so that makes sense. You have to keep going back to the basic ABCs of God's oracles, God's word to you. What were these basic oracles? Well, the Jewish system under the Old Covenant summed up the, their belief system under six statements. 
there was a teaching about repentance from dead works. You had to continually repent from just works. There was this faith that you had to have towards God. Your inclination was to be towards God in your faith. They taught a lot about purification washings. Before you came to sacrifice, you had to do these washings. And so every Jewish home had this basin at their door and people would wash as they were going in and out. It, they taught a lot about laying on of hands. And it wasn't as we believe, uh, as we, um, it's not the teaching in the New Testament where you lay hands on someone and the blessing is on them. This was the laying on of hands on a scapegoat. And then it would be sent out into the wilderness. So that's what that was meaning. And then there was a teaching about the resurrection of the dead and on eternal judgment. Now, there was nothing wrong with these teachings because who did they come from initially? From God. But they were there for a very specific dispensation of the old covenant. Nothing wrong with the teachings. But these Jewish believers thought that they could have Judaism and Christianity and they could coexist together. They were holding on to the shadow and turning away from the reality in front of them. You see, the old covenant taught repentance from dead works. They had to keep the Ten Commandments. And if you kept the Ten Commandments perfectly, it showed you couldn't. And so you continually had to make sacrifice for sin. And so the commandments taught that you can't keep them. And so you had to ask for forgiveness from your works. It also taught about faith towards God, that your life had to be centered on God. But it didn't go into much more detail. And then the new covenant came along. There's much more depth to it when Jesus came. And he taught about repentance by faith in Christ. Not just laying hands on a goat, but there is repentance to be found in Christ. And that is by faith. And that's the only way to God. You see, there's much more depth. There's shadow. There's reality. The Old Covenant taught about purification washings before sacrifice was made. They'd have to wash their hands. And then they could go and sacrifice. They had to make sure that they ceremonially clean. But the New Covenant came along and it taught that you could only... Um, that you could only be forgiven if you came through a sacrifice of Christ and His blood. Do you see there's more depth? The Old Covenant taught about laying on of hands on the sacrificial animal, the scapegoat. And then it was sent out into the wilderness. The New Covenant came and said that you could only have forgiveness if you trust in Christ on whom all sin was laid. Do you see there's much more depth? The Old Covenant taught that the dead would be resurrected by God. It was very general and vague. There wasn't much more detail. But the New Covenant came and said, there is resurrection, hope, and life to be found now in Christ Jesus. And He will resurrect you. There is hope now. You see, much more depth. And these Jewish believers were, were, were regressing Back to the Old Covenant teachings and to milk. That's the point. But there was a consequence, you see. By doing that, 
In so doing, they were falling away from the life available to them right now in Christ. They were turning back to the old when it should be on the new. And so they were still on milk. And the consequence was that their spiritual growth was stunted. They couldn't understand the deeper concepts of Christ. And so the teachers of the word those times had to go back and back and back and back and regurgitate all the, the basic teachings of Christ. Nothing wrong with them, but you've got to move on. We've got to grow in our faith. And so they were still children in the faith. And that had an effect in their everyday lives. If you only know a limited amount of God's word, if you only have a certain depth in God's word, you see, they were starting to sin because of ignorance of what the Word said. God's Word well enough. They were starting to sin because they couldn't discern between good and evil. They were starting to fall for temptation. Why? Because they were weak in their faith. There was a lack of practice at applying God's discernment in their lives. And so he says to them, My dear friends, move away from the milk. Get onto solid food. Grow up in your faith. Verse 14. He says it in this way. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. He's encouraging my friends in Christ, eat the solid food of God's deeper truth. Don't negate the basic truths, but build on them. Wrestle with God's word. Mull over God's word. Think through God's word. Try to understand His Word at a deeper level. Spend more directed time in His Word. Get out of your comfort zone in the, in, in the shallow comforts of what you know and go into the deeper parts of God's Word. It's like saying to a surgeon, my dear surgeon, move off how to stitch wounds and get into some heart surgery. Get deeper. Why? Because if you do, you will grow into maturity. How do we grow into maturity according to this passage? By having our powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So as you read the principles in God's word, said this passage, and then you put it into practice in your life, you learn how to discern good from evil. And you might fail, but then you go back again to God's word. You read the principle, you put it into practice, and then you stand. And then you go back into God's word. You read the principles, you put it into practice, and you get stronger in discerning what is good and evil. Think of soldiers training for combat. They do this one exercise, and I used to be in the military. They used to do this one exercise where you've got to distinguish friend from foe, and you've got to do it really quickly. So they'll come with machine guns into a building, and these targets will pop up at them. They're either the friend or foe, and you've got to learn to distinguish by training. You've got to learn to distinguish friend from foe, because if you just shoot, you're going to kill your friends. And that only comes from knowing what you're doing and then practicing it. Same principle here. The only way we can know what God's Word is saying is to spend time in the Word and then to put it into practice so that we can learn how to differentiate between good and evil. That's what he's on about. And why is that important? You see, it needs to become a reflex action. Knowing good from evil needs to be a reflex action. Why? Because if you don't know what God's Word says in a situation, you're going to make the wrong decisions. 
how do we train our powers of discernment? We refer back to God's Word, and for that we need to know God's Word, not just superficially, but in depth. You know this whole um, statement of, I think the Bible speaks about this somewhere. You must have heard that expression somewhere. You might even use it quite a bit. That's what it's talking about. It's this vagueness. Why is it important not to have that attitude about God's Word? I'll give you an on-the-ground example. A young person meets a guy, meets a beautiful girl. It works the other way too, by the way. A guy meets a beautiful girl, and he really likes, and he wants to deepen his relationship with her, but he's a believer and she's not a believer. And so he says to himself, I think the Bible speaks about the somewhere uh, and how relationships should work, and, and I'm not too sure where and how already he's fallen. You see, the right situation should be, I know what God's Word says. In that moment, I need to know what His Word says. In the Old Testament, what did He say about relationships? Exodus 34, 17, He spoke to Israel, and then later to Solomon too, He said, Don't take wives from foreign nations, because they'll lead your hearts away and bring in their foreign gods. It was heart attitude, not ethnicity. That was the problem. In the New Testament, what does it say about relationships? 2 Corinthians 6.14 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? You see, if you knew that, you wouldn't make that decision. So you need to know what God's Word says, but you also need to know the correct context of God's Word. Why is that important? You see, Satan tried to trick Jesus by using Scripture out of context. When Jesus was tempted in Matthew 4, Satan quoted Scripture at Jesus. God's Word says. But what did Jesus say? Yes, God's Word says that. But in its right context, this is what God's Word says. And he corrected him. You have to know the context. We had this case of, um, in this recent um, thing we had with the, uh, this publication put out called Join the Chariot. Remember, I spoke to you about that. The problem why many people are falling for documents like that is because we don't know the scriptures well enough. And so scriptures are quoted in that document, but they're quoted out of context. And they quoted, and the people that are quoting these scriptures make their own conclusions about what they're saying, which aren't correct. And if we knew God's word, we would make the right decision. We would be able to see the difference between good and evil. And so the problem is, we do not know God's word well enough. We are not mature in our faith, says the Hebrew writer. And what's the danger of that? It's not just that you're going to get it wrong, but there's a further consequence. He spells it out in Verses 4 to 8 of chapter 6. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who are once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. What's he speaking about here? Apostasy, our old friend we've come across. A deliberate walking away from the truth. There's the biggest danger. Now, just in brackets here, for those theologians among you here, when he's speaking about this topic over here, We know the truth of one saved, always saved, all right? John chapter 10, verse 27 to 28 is one of those references. It's not what he's talking about here. Yes, we know about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, Matthew 12, 31 to 32. 
But that's not what he's talking about here. Those are truths, yes. But I'm not going to go into them here either. What he's doing is using this whole extreme of argument in his, in his argument here. He's saying it is impossible for them to come back once they've been enlightened. All right? Do you see the, the urgency of what he's saying? That's what we must see. He's saying once you've been enlightened, once the light has shone on you, verse 4, you won't be able to repent. It's impossible. Once you've tasted the heavenly gift of what God has done, you can't repent from that if you walk away. Once you've shared in what the Holy Spirit does, you can't walk away from that and repent from that. It's nearly impossible. Once you've tasted the Word of God and the goodness of the Word of God, now you want to turn your back on that, it'll be impossible for you to repent because you've tasted. You've tasted the power of the age to come. What's he talking about here? He's talking about those who are explorers but not believers in the first instance. They know something of God's Word. They seem to be having fruit in their lives, but then they go away because it's never gone deeper. They haven't matured in the faith. He's speaking about those who are fossickers but not miners. Do you get the difference? They're all on the surface but have never gone deeper into the Word, and that has consequences. He says, you will not be able to repent from that. Why? Because you've tasted. But also, there's a bigger issue here. You are crucifying Christ again. Would you crucify Christ again, he says? And not just that. Before the world, you are holding Christ up to contempt. The world looks at you and says, is that what a Christian is? You, you've heard the phrase people have used, I used to be a Christian. That does so much damage to the reputation of Jesus Christ in the world. I used to be a Christian. And then he says, verses 7 to 8 of chapter 6, and I'll come back to this passage again, so I'm just going to gloss over. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. You see, what's, I love this. He's saying here, the fruit of your life will prove who you are and how deep you are in the Word. If your, if your life is bearing fruit, which is fruit of blessing, then that blessing will be experienced in your life because you have responded to the rain God has been falling on your life through His Word. Your life is bearing good fruit. But... If you've had this rain falling on your life of God's Word, and the fruit from your life is thorns and thistles, it shows what the real heart is, doesn't it? What did Jesus say? By their fruit will you know them. So fruit matters. But then I love, he gets to chapter 6, verse 3, and, and verses 9 to 12 of that same chapter, and he says, but by the mercy of God, he will help you. He says, I'm sure this passage is not about you. You as people, and see the tone of mercy and love here. He says, in your case, beloved, the Lord has done great things with you. I see in your lives you're still loving one another. That you are still loving those around you. Look, that's, that's what I know about you, but I am concerned for you. 
What I need you to do is show an earnestness, a deliberate striving after that full assurance of hope, which is only to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His Word. Strive after that. Don't be sluggish imitators of these old covenant ways, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises in God's Word. Now, there's much more to be said there, but I will come back to that at another time. What do we do with this? I want to put a simple self-test in front of you as I have put in front of me. I've had to work through this already. Just do the self-test on yourself. How much time do I spend in Netflix looking at the fruit of other people's imaginations? compared to the time I spend in the living and true words of Almighty God. So show me where my heart is, you see. Do I know more about the lives of the Kardashians and my favorite Shortland Street character, or do I know more about the life and the words of Jesus Christ? About the attributes of our God. Do I know what his character's like? Because I've studied it in the Word. Is it easier for me to find my way on the apps on my phone than to find the actual Bible books when they turn to specific references? It shows how important God's Word is to me. Am I more concerned about the latest COVID updates than hearing from the Holy Spirit as I spend time in God's Word. I know it's a little unfair, that one. But we're so concerned about hearing what the stats are doing. Have I got that same concern for listening to the Holy Spirit every day? And what He's saying to me. You see, we can recognize the latest telephone scams, but because we don't know God's Word, we can't recognize when Satan is scamming us into sin. I very closely monitor my KiwiSaver balance because it's going to look after my retirement, right? But I fail to invest in the riches of God's Word in my life which bring life and hope for all eternity, not just my retirement. I spend most of my time in the Gospels, but I never read much in the pastoral epistles, the rest of God's Word. I'm a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John person. Or maybe I spend all my time in the New Testament, but I've never persevered through Chronicles, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, the Old Testament. Those harder to read sections for us. Or maybe I can recite John 3.16 like a one-trick pony. But I've never grappled with the full implications of God's sovereignty in my life. The deeper things of Christ. You see, what, what's happening is I'm eking out an existence on milk, but I'm not growing because I'm not feasting on the solid food of the deeper things of Christ. And so the only thing I can do in response is say, Lord, help me. Help me. Take away my dullness of hearing. Give me ears to hear, Lord. Feed me the solid food of your word. 
Help me to mine the depths of the treasures of your truth about you. Help me to spend more time in your word and make it more in-depth study of your word, Lord. Sharpen my abilities to distinguish between good and evil and to act on that insight by applying that truth and walking away from sin. Lord, help me. Give me a heart of repentance. Take away my attitude of indifference to your word. Lord, grow good fruit in me, which brings honor to the name of Christ and blessings on me and to those around me and burn out of me the thorns and thistles of disobedience to you. Lord, move me from defaulting to milk when I need the solid food of your word, which brings maturity. Help me. I need help. Do you need that help? Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We need your living word in our lives. Lord, help us when we escape to the easy things, to just superficiality to doing a little bit of reading for the day and then getting on with our lives and never spending that quality deep down time in your word. Never getting out those reference books and digging down, seeing what others are saying about your word, but not just that, Lord. Cross-referencing in your word and seeing what your word has to say about your word because it takes hard work. Lord, make us less lazy in your word and give us a passion and a fervor for knowing your word so that your word can speak into our lives, so that we can grow into mature believers, so that we can grow in the deeper things of Christ and become more Christ-like. And we know you do this in us, Lord, but you do this through your word as your Holy Spirit makes it alive in us. Help us, Lord. We need you in our lives. We need your word. Help us, we pray. Amen.